and part of the joke is nowadays when I introduce myself to the client, I, I actually say to them, uh, I used to blow up, blow things up for a living. Now I stop things from blowing up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, what's up, everyone? This is Dalbat Power. I'm your host, Andy. And I'm Sandy. Could you say that with a bit more excitement next time, please? Nick? I'll try. This is the podcast where we talk about Nepali inspirational stories. And today we've got a special guest. He's quite the Renaissance man. And he is always the bell of the ball in the Nepali weddings because of his dancing style. Uh, thank you for having me on, guys. Uh, Rajiv Rai, of course. <laughs> That's me. I uh, sort of, my dad was in the Gurkhas, uh, joined up. And then um, before you know it, I was born in Hong Kong. That's where... That's where Once Upon a Time really starts. From there onwards, of course, I uh, ended up basically living in Hong Kong for a while. Became a bit of a cocktail when you think about it, because my dad decided to pension and went back to Nepal for a bit. Uh, had education pretty much everywhere, but I spent really the majority of my life in Hong Kong uh, when my dad sort of pensioned and returned to Hong Kong to work again. That's at a really varied culture mix of uh, of both, you might say, the local Hong Kong, including Nepalese, uh, sort of background. Uh, after a while, uh, you know, to finish Hong Kong, uh, and then my dad decided to ask me, what do I want to do for the rest of your life? Before you know it, he said, when you think of the British Army? Of course, that wasn't the first thing that was on my mind, but I thought, you know, at that point in time, it sounded like something you could do, someone who could pay you to actually have fun. That was my version of the thought, of course, um, so found out that was sorely wrong, uh, and then uh, ended up joining the British Army back in two thousand and four. Uh, after that, it was a roller coaster ride. Uh, I was actually doing my um, engineering degree when I was in the military as well, really with no foresight as actually how it was going to pan out. And then uh, left the army back in two thousand and sixteen, end of two thousand sixteen, uh, and came into a completely new industry as you just described, which was uh, uh, which was an insurance industry, but with an engineering background. How do you work in an engineering background in an insurance industry? But here I am, and uh, for the last five years, I have not regretted it. It's one of those few occasions when you can fully utilize your, well, in my case, consulting skills. Yeah, okay. Interesting. Uh, so going back to the beginning, uh, do you want to tell us about what was your reasoning behind initially joining the army or what made you join the army? Um, quite a few reasons, but the main one was uh, stupidity. I- I'd say. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's a good. That's always a good reason. Yeah. yeah. You don't really think about a lot of things when you're at, at that age, uh, early twenties. You're, you're thinking of a lot of having fun, and and when someone like your father portrays having fun in the army, he makes it sound really, really, really fun. Um, and at that time, I was in a somewhat of a serious relationship. I was actually thinking of marrying a girl. Um, which of course didn't pan out, um, but uh, a lot of different decisions made me think, uh, I don't want to go to the university in the US, which I had actually been selected for, but I decided to then you know, venture towards the military, which gave me a little more, f- I guess, foundation in terms of being able to earn money and pursue my degree at the same time. Okay, okay, that, that's, that's very interesting. So uh, was the army life like what you'd imagined? Because obviously you grew up in the army, I presume, right? Um, when I was when I when I was growing up in the army, you never really saw. Uh, when I was a kid, that is, you never really saw how your father struggled. You know, doing the infantry okay. training and all those mm-hmm. things. You hear about them, but those are always uh, like a fairy tale that you never actually uh, experience. But when I did join the military, I I have to say it is very unlike um, what people. 
fantasize or not even fantasize they they beautify in many ways where army is this and that army is just plain hard full stop there's there's no two ways about it you the reason they make you suffer is because they want you to suffer and be able to do your job and uh, I suffered for at least a year. I still have a cold injury I haven't recovered oh, really? from. Wow. Yeah. Mm. So whenever it's, uh, the temperature drops below a certain level, my, my feet just does not reheat itself. It's, oh, it's, wow. It's, wow. I've okay. got a hearing problem as well. So my hearing was uh, fully functional. You might say 2020 in vision sense, but I've gone down from that to uh, H3, as they call it, from H1 to H3, which is, uh, I think I can still hear people, but you know, if you do the test properly, you... Oh, wow. there's some problems okay so you've got some battle scars literally from yep. your experience in the army right but um when you say the army just to give context to the people listening this is the british army right and is is it to not the british gurkhas but the british army right yes that's right i joined up with the royal engineers mm-hmm. um when i first came in again engineering must have been something that was imprinted on me because that's why i joined up so that so sorry that was what kind of sold you to the fact that uh it was the royal engineers so you'd be doing some i think it was more to do with the fact that it gave you a skill a mm-hmm. skill set oh, okay. that okay. you can use because i joined up as a carpenter and joiner oh wow so mm. god's trained they call it <laughs> usually uh, you know parents say don't do what i've done i've worked hard so yeah, you could become true. you know something better or better whatever, life yeah. better life right? right and then they don't want you to follow in their footsteps unless they're millionaires of course or billionaires right <laughs> i think my dad was just wishing i didn't fall off the com- food chain completely or, or i didn't end up making a complete mess of a mess of myself um, but yeah, in, in many ways, my dad was thinking, he was throwing a Hail Mary, I think, oh, when, okay. he, uh, <laughs> when he thought about me joining the military. But um, there's a lot of good things that came out of it. You know, you watch all those army military movies, right? I mean, a couple, my classic favorite is Stripes, Bill Murray. Tell me some, like, give me some flashbacks and some crazy stories that you've had in your army experience. If I were to sort of describe some of the good things, I, I got to enjoy so many things such as I scuba dived, I, I, I jumped out of a plane, mm-hmm. I, uh, I went sailing around Spain, all at the army's expense. Mm-hmm. Those were some really good stuff. Um, but it was also it was quite difficult because when you come into a completely British army, which is not, not, not like the Gurkhas, you, oh, okay. you have uh, 9% white British, of course, mm-hmm. um, it, it takes time to adjust. Uh, I grew up in Hong Kong uh, with with my parents predominantly. Yep. I was staying with them. From coming from that to being completely independent, having to fend for yourself uh, and to adapt to not just the humor, sarcasm, but, you know, completely different culture. Even no matter how westernized you think you are, it was quite a shock. It was uh, it was something I had to get used to. And if you didn't adapt fast, you, you didn't <laughs> adapt at all. Right. You got picked on. Was there any, did you experience any discrimination in any ways? Or any prejudice? Yeah. I think discrimination is part of the world. It'll, it'll happen uh, uh, with or without someone's knowledge sometimes. Even the person discriminating you might not have an idea what discrimination yeah. is. Subconsciously doing it. Exactly, yeah. exactly. But um, I, there, 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 there could have been times, but I, I had a completely different outlook in life. I, I, I never thought I was getting, getting discriminated. And if I ever got, if everybody, anybody, someone got to me, I always gave it back to them as good as I got. So okay. So how long were you in the army for? When I finished, I was at twelve mu- twelve years and six months. Wow, is that a is that a standard army career, or do you know? Uh, if you think about the Gurkhas, I don't think so. Okay. I think the Gurkhas actually do a lot longer. Uh, for the average British military, I guess when you're talking about the army here, I'm not 
talking about the RAF or the Navy. Um, I believe that uh, the Army ha- does only has a contract for four and a half years. Oh, wow. In, uh, that was when I joined up. I'm, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's changed since then. Okay. But I decided to do up to my 12-year point because at that, until that point, I was quite ambivalent. I had no idea what I was going to be doing. Uh, and it was only after I acquired my degree that I made the choice to leap. Okay. Okay. So you're doing a degree while you're in the army. So I started my degree back in 2010, and uh, it was on it was my wife on my wife's behest really when I decided to switch my major from psychology of all things initially <laughs> uh, to uh, to engineering, and uh, it was with the mindset that I was actually going to stay within the military and do something uh, with that degree. Oh, okay. But then. Um, I think um, I think after making some life choices and some upheaval the military went through at that particular time. Okay. I uh, I decided to leave the military. Okay. Okay. So you decided, and um, when you were doing your degree, was the army paying for it, or how does that work? So I think one of the good things about the British military is that they encourage you to progress, right? Uh, okay. To continually continuously develop. The only mm-hmm. problem is. Not a lot of people or not a lot of serving enlisted personnel actually take advantage of it. It's just, mm-hmm. it's un- unfortunately one thing about the military is they insti- institutionalize you. They mm-hmm. make everything so easy that you don't really need to work hard for your nine to five. In this case, 24 hours, 24 seven. <laughs> that's, that's supposed to be the pay. Uh, but in uh, there are a lot of a uh, lot of advantages. I mean, a lot of uh, subsidi- subsidies exist for military personnel to study, to pursue further education, to not, it doesn't necessarily even have to be further education, anything that they could better themselves with. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they can, as long as they can justify somehow that they are able to achieve that and do something progressive with the military, then they can actually get, I think in some cases, 80% of that cost reimbursed. Oh, wow. wow, that's cool. That's cool. Glowing endorsement for one yeah. reason why you can join the army, right? I think so. I mean, yeah. I, th- I think one of the things that people don't understand is that there are a lot of advantages to be had with the military. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. if you think about um, some of the time, back in the days anyways, my, my accommodation used to get paid for. I mean, how yeah. many oh, yeah. places for your accommodation, right? Yeah. right? You get 40 days, 40 plus days, 48 days, if I'm not mistaken, of paid holiday. Wow. wow. Cool. You don't really get that most places, I would <laughs> no. say. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but then the biggest problem is people get complacent. People get into cruising mode. And mm. unfortunately, it's really easy for people to fall within that trap and then continue for the next 22 years. You've said all the glowing. You said the glossy bits, right? What are the dark bits? And of course, if there is a major war going on, right? You will be deployed, right? Yes, That's correct. Have you had any war experience? So I was, uh, I was deployed to uh, Iraq, Basra twice, um, two tours. Um, the first one was back in two thousand, and well, actually, as soon as I joined up, I after I finished doing my training, which my basic training as well, my phase two training, I I deployed to Iraq for six months in two thousand and six, um, an eye opening experience, I think. Um, we personally, from during that time, I didn't. I didn't see much combat because I was okay. within the support section. I used mm-hmm. to, we used to be more doing, uh, helping the humanitarian side of things, mm-hmm. uh, winning hearts and minds, as they call it back in those days. Right. <laughs> yeah. um, but there was always a scare of uh, uh, IED in improvised explosive yeah. devices blowing up uh, when you're deploying somewhere, uh, when you're in a FOB, which is a forward operating base. Uh, so there was that those dangers, definitely. And um and my second deployment was back in 2000 and, well, just before I left my first unit, which was back in 2009, uh, I deployed uh, there for another six months and um, really building on the work that we already done in the free previous tours. Um, 
beautiful people I think the Iraqis are, but uh, those experiences definitely, uh, definitely structure your life. And um, yeah, a lot of respect for those who are serving and have served. Cool. So um, did you also, when you were serving, did you work alongside the Gurkhas? I had a couple of opportunities to meet the Gurkhas. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I'll, I'll be honest, uh, I, I, love, I, I love my fellow compatriots from my, my country. It's, um, they, I think they, 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 in many cases, the infantrymen, they do live in a secular world. Mm-hmm. They, they are very much confined to a, a certain, certain structure of how things are, are done. Uh, whereas in the broader British military, you're exposed to more and you are, have more opportunities, okay. which, which, is, which is a shame because unfortunately I can see the reason why they aren't exposed to that kind of opportunities, but uh, they have a lot more, a, a better camaraderie. Mm-hmm. A lot, a, uh, they are a very disciplined um, and I love the food. Okay, yes, everyone. Yeah, <laughs> there's something special about army Nepali food. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, uh, I still remember the mess food from the mess yes, that we used uh, to have as kids. Awesome, awesome. I, think army it, mess. I think it has to do with the morale. Um, yeah, if you have good food, you can have good fighting spirit. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> Apparently, um, so hold on. Uh, with regards to food, when you say when you talk about differences, like what were you getting fed? I guess being part of the British Army compared to what the Gurkhas were. Getting fed. I, I wasn't getting fed per se. I, I never enjoyed the food that I was getting. I, 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 I come from Hong Kong and I think I, I, my, my host uh, can relate. Uh, sorry, no, my, uh, the interviewers can actually relate to this. Uh, the food over in Hong Kong is absolutely amazing. From coming from that to having mashed potatoes and boiled eggs and, and, and sausages. Uh, and this is nonstop. I think there's a, <laughs> this is a way to break you. They do, I, I had that for nearly 12 weeks straight. Wow. And by the end of it, I was suicidal during my training training phases. Wow, that's what food does to you. <laughs> and part of the reason why I enjoy cooking now is because if I didn't eat something at that time, I probably would have just been so malnutritioned I wouldn't be able to do anything. <laughs> so, I mean, there's a couple of reasons where you put. You're right. Hong Kong has phenomenal food, right? And plus, Nepali food is phenomenal as well. Yeah. It's very, uh, it's textured, it's com- com- complex, right? All these flavors. Then you go, you break it down to basic carbs, right? You say mashed potatoes and boiled eggs. Where's the life? I think, um, I think the, the 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 average British, the way they survive in the UK is uh, by knowing how how bad the food is. The weather's not that bad <laughs> to compare with. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not sorry. I'm not. I, was, uh, I take that back. It's a. Uh, I, I, the British food ha- do have their own. Um, they, they do have their positives, um, but um, the Nepalese food uh, has got a lot of flavor. Yeah, uh, that's which true. You cannot. I'd say a lot more against. Yeah. I think what really inspired us, me and uh, Sandy, to get you in here was we see this 360 transformation of your career. Right, you were in the army, and. A lot of people who listen to this, especially in the UK, who have this British Army background or are still serving, this might sound as, you know, this will give them inspiration. So you move, you transition from the Army uh, with your engineering degree. Yeah, I mean, what were the challenges when you first left the Army, you know, so, so going back to, I guess, civilian life or whatever you call it? Um, so the Army definitely institutionalizes you. But if you have uh, the understanding of what it is uh, and what, all, what opportunities are, are out there, uh, in the wider, or the civil world, as we call it, in the military, mm-hmm. um, then it's a lot less intimidating. Um, to take you on a little journey, um, back in 2014-15, I'd actually just left uh, Northern Ireland and come over to the UK. I, I'd served there for three and a half years. Uh, part of my job was to actually look for bombs. Um, oh, wow. it was um, uh, it was it was an interesting, um, very very interesting career. Uh, 
time you might say when I spend over there. Um, and part of the joke is nowadays when I introduce myself to the client, I, I actually say to them, uh, I used to blow up, blow things up for a living. Now I stop things from blowing up. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. At that point in time, I, um, unfortunately, the British Army wasn't going through a real good time in 2015. They were having lots of redundancies. There were, they removed pension oh, in wow. 2015. Wow. So those were some of the things that inched me towards leaving the military. Mm-hmm. And uh, the good thing was at that point in time, I was about to finish my degree and a whole new avenue popped, popped up. I think it was, uh, it was the foresight back in 2010 to change my degree towards something that I could utilize outside. Mm-hmm. And, and Not I, to offend anyone who does psychology, right? Who's studying that, right? <laughs> Right. I think you have to be realistic. Yeah. Um, oh, so still, let's let offend psychology I'm, I'm students. I'm not going to say, uh, you know, I mean, uh, I'm, I come from a very practical background. Uh, mm-hmm. In the military, one of the things they do teach you is you got to think uh, two steps ahead. You got to mm-hmm. think about what it was going to happen next. I mean, that's how we're trained. Yeah. We're in mm-hmm. the field. The first thing we're doing is cleaning our rifle. But at the same time, we're thinking about what are you going to, how are you going to set up our uh, tent? How are you going to set up our, um, our, our food? So that we have everything done, everything in mm-hmm. time in order to execute the next operation. Yeah. Similarly, when I joined up, when I when I decided to switch my degree, it was really to do with the th- fact that there were job opportunities. There were real mm-hmm. big demands and gap in communication and engineering, and they knew that this demand gap would only continue to grow until two thousand and thirty. So, it was it was really reading the signs. Yeah, and that really uh, helped towards doing the degree and then having more of a choice when it came to two thousand fifteen. So, uh, 2015, big decision time, uh, and it was it was at that point in my uni- uh, university sort of career that they also so university life that they they also mentioned that you got to start thinking mm-hmm. about your careers. Yeah, uh, you, as as in you start to in you start putting down applications and applying for different things. Funny, funny that actually it was it was a trip um, in March 2016. Uh, I'd already signed off the military at that time. I had again I had no safety net to fall into. And I thought I was going to leave the military and find a job. Well, probably not the best uh, thinking at that time. But at that point uh, in March, I, I just went up to um, Birmingham uh, in the NEC uh, mm-hmm. where they have, they continually have engineering um, ad- advertising for new opportunities. I mean, so basically they have a big convention where mm-hmm. different companies come in and advertise. Wow, okay. Um, I was going through distributing my CV as a deck of cards. If you can <laughs> think about dealing a deck of cards, and, and this one company approached me. And uh, after the first thing they mentioned to me was, "Hey, listen, we are an insurance company." I completely did a turnaround. I did not even want to speak to them. Mm-hmm. But once I got speaking to them, I mean, he he he, he was quite. Uh, I I've got to get name him Tom Roach. He's uh, he's quite the man. He's been in uh, in in FM Global, which is the company that I'm currently with for nearly 20, I think 30 years now. And uh, he had a way about him that he just caught me. And then he spoke to me. And after speaking for about five minutes, he, I don't know, I think he he just figured out that I like talking, mm-hmm. as, as okay. clearly demonstrated by this podcast yeah, video. Okay. <laughs> wow, what would you make you think that? Yeah, go on. Yeah. <laughs> so um, what ended up happening was he took my CV, and um, I'm, I'm not ashamed to admit it, none of the company that I initially sent my CV to or was interested in ever returned my call or ever did a second Okay, no, this is so. important because everything isn't a fairy tale story. There is yeah. that struggle, no. right? Yeah. So you got rejected, right? Pretty much. And the only company, the only company yeah. that actually called me back was this company mm-hmm. that... Yeah pulled me to corner i'm not going to say they uh, they were struggling to get people uh mm-hmm. because they actually interviewed uh, when they told me at the very end they interviewed 12 different people and they selected me out of oh, the 12 wow. so um that's cool i, I that's think they so were cool. looking for some skill sets 
that mm-hmm. they, were, they were looking for. Mm-hmm. And it's very important that your degree and your qualifications is not the only skill set. It only lets you get through the door. Thank you. Yeah, that's true. The yeah. most important thing is the key skills set that people need to be aware of, which are your communication. Diffusing your, diffusing bombs. D- diffusing yeah. bombs. Le- be- metaphorically, you yeah. know, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It can be communicated in so many different ways. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my in-laws was uh, in a similar situation when I first <laughs> met them. <laughs> Mother that's another mother. story yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um uh, but yeah uh, problem solving uh team leadership all those key skills that you gain from the military is ab- absolutely fundamental that that's one of the things that they look for outside yes of course you might need the the prerequisite such as degree or mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. or perhaps a certain level of qualification nvq as they call mm-hmm. it but um in, in in all essence whether when they replied to me i had no other option but again, I wasn't interested in going them because I had no idea how much you know they were going to pay first of all, but what they were to begin with. Mm-hmm. I did structural engineering. What do I know about insurance? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, but um, after I did my, I, I took it as a bait. Uh, I thought, listen, I'm going to use this as a platform to practice my interviewing skill. Mm-hmm. It was really to understand what it was. Mm-hmm. And when I went for the first interview, it was really interesting, but I still wasn't 100%. After the second interview, which was a lot more thorough, I had to do a presentation. Mm-hmm. I, had, I got asked a couple of Q&A. They sent me um, uh, a proposal a month later saying, we are quite interested in hiring you. Would mm-hmm. you be interested? And the minute my wife saw the salary, she said, you better sign those dotted lines. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, that's a great sequence of events. Tell us exactly what this is in an insurance in engineering team term. What is, what is this? What are you doing? What is your job, JD? So the company I work for, for is called FM Global. Mm-hmm. This company has been around for nearly 200 years. Yeah. Uh, it's based in the US. And again, it is predominantly a property and business interruption insurance provider. Mm-hmm. They don't do with live pets or, or, mm-hmm. or you know, home. It's nothing mm-hmm. like that. It's to do with property and business interruption. Mm-hmm. Um, majority of the clients are Fortune 500. Okay. Okay. Um, but, but I think uh, when I was coming to the job, I had no clue what I was getting into. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and I think yeah. that could be primarily because of my lack of expectation to actually go into this company. Right. Mm-hmm. But uh, when, once, I, once I got in, I did feel like I landed myself. I won the lotto in many ways because the opportunities it provided me was mm-hmm. amazing. The things that I get to see and, and, and the clients that I constantly visit uh, it just is amazing. It's phenomenal. Uh, I have been to the U.S five or six times for training for um for conferences and um each one of those events it just broadens to how big the world actually is mm-hmm. um uh i i joined up with the company with, with with very little knowledge but when i finished with it the amount of information skills everything that you can get out of it was was second to none they they reckon that in this company they nearly spent two hundred thousand dollars on you before you actually see a return Oh. And, oh, wow. and there's a lot of investment and especially mm. for engineering that's very important right because in in in, in the engineering world uh, mm. in the UK it's a lot to do with experience mm-hmm. uh, you are paid according to how capable you are right and how and sometimes to have that kind of vested um, training to someone who who hasn't even shown a return is a very difficult um, move to make right but uh, this company has. And my job description really is to go visit clients. I am a risk engineer. 
Okay. Yeah, the question that you asked was, how does... Okay, well, we're finally getting there. Okay, yeah. that's good. Okay, thank you. So, right. uh, <laughs> so as a risk engineer, the main thing is uh, I look at a client site. It mm -hmm. could be anything from a manufacturing location to an office. Mm -hmm. um, some of the cool sites are actually big production lines that is the size of small cities. Mm, wow. Um, mm. And what we have to do is we have to understand the risk. We break it down into chunks. We look at the construction side of it. We look at what they do, um, uh, what type of protection that they have in terms of sprinkler systems and stuff like mm -hmm. that. And then after understanding all those exposures, we try to encapsulate that risk, provide recommendations to the client, and then help them improve that site incrementally mm -hmm. and some of these increments are quite expensive to be making i mean some of this um, risk improvement costs nearly a million million pounds right. and they pay for your service and your advice for this so my company pays me yeah uh, and my company sources me out to these clients okay, okay. and uh yeah it's uh, it's a very very amazing uh for legal purposes i can't really mention my client's name over here mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh but uh, if you go to tesco's you probably see all their names everywhere. That's okay. what I'm going to say. All right. So te you're technically being sourced out as a third party for another company. No, it? actually, I work for my company. My company is the be-all and end-all. Oh, no, sense. no, what I mean is, so your company is sourcing you out to work for, let's say, company A. No, no, nothing no? like that. Okay. It's, uh, we insure the clients yeah. and we provide the advice to the client to improve their risk. So yeah. it's a very mutual relationship. Well, okay. okay. We're trying to improve their risk because let's be honest, if they never have a fire, they never have a loss, then we're in the safe bet. Right, well, yeah, exactly. So, but we also are there when they need us. Mm -hmm. So you're more of a client-facing person then, right? You'd have to go down, meet the client, talk to them, right? Exactly. As so well. when you were in interviewed in the NEC, right? They wanted to talk to you. They wanted to, and you passed out of like 12 people because you had the gift of the gab, right? I, I think communication was a key part yeah, of it. As yeah. my job, my 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 description, my job description is consultant engineer. I have mm -hmm. to consult yeah, before exactly. I'm an engineer. Yeah. Right. And and yes, uh, I think uh, that was something that was a was was one of the more fundamental reasons why I think I got picked for yeah. this job. No, yeah. it's interesting because we always talk about you know like you said yourself, Rajiv, that you said it's not about the degree. It's also about talking, making that yeah. impression. And they were looking at an angle where are you a conversationalist, right? Yeah. Yes, of course. My my father back in the days, uh, he used to work as a disc oh, sorry, yeah. radio jockey for um, for BAPS channel in, in Sekong Camp. Yeah. Yeah. But this was the pre nineteen nineties here, so I don't know if many people will remember that. Yeah, yeah, no, that's why I yeah. said back in the days. But you know, I mean, the, some of the genes have sprinkled on, right? So. <laughs> Uh, I, I believe my dad's uh, saving grace, one of his saving graces was his ability to communicate and I'm glad that I got some of that. Yeah. That's good. I mean, we, we have to realize and we uh, that in any job, I think communication is the most important thing, you know? So you could have someone really technical or skilled, but obviously communication, mm -hmm. if they can't communicate, you know, Very that true. then that's not going to work. So in that sense, I think it works really well for you because exactly. you're a good communicator, I'd say. I think diplomacy goes a long way. Mm -hmm. It's knowing uh, how to communicate. And again, we're in the UK. Mm -hmm. The English is, is going to be the, the main language that's going to be spoken. Uh, you just need to know uh, how to utilize it to your advantage, I think. Um, and there are a lot of communicators out there who I think, even though they speak excellent English, they might not be able to read someone's body language. They right. might not be able to articulate the things they want to say properly. Um, I mean, I'm enjoying this podcast because I think this might be one of those ones that we reach on time because you are such a good communicator, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Whereas not to disrespect everyone else, right? Other people that we've interviewed, but yeah, you're t precise to the point, you know, and you're taking on. I can see that you have some skill set that needs to, that's needed in our company. <laughs> 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 so, I mean, other than your work, uh, uh, let's talk about your side hustle. Yeah. 
I said you are a man of many talents. That's yes, how I exactly. introduced you, right? A renaissance man. <laughs> oh, I, I feel flattered. Um, no matter how capable you are, how uh, how you know, professional, how, how no matter how many skill sets you have, you will always be left behind in many ways because you will fall short of the expectations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in many cases, uh, that was the key thing for me was uh, that when I my wife married me, she I'm not gonna lie. She, she asked me, what, what's your plans? Before we even married, she mm-hmm. asked me that question. Straight to business. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she was very direct. She asked me, you know, and she asked me how, how much savings I had, which pretty much wow. was negative. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, was in, I was in debit more than that. <laughs> Why did she marry you again? <laughs> <laughs> no, she, she always says she saw the potential. I, okay. I very much doubt that. At that mm-hmm. moment, I was just crazy in love. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing I do know is that uh, she, we started having uh, setting goals. And I think it goes without saying financial freedom opens a lot of doors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Regardless of being um, a doctor, uh, an engineer, or a pilot, as, they, as our parents usually used to describe mm-hmm. as the three main source of career, uh, I think uh, the, the most important thing is you need to be financially capable in order to do the things you want to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, financial education is not something advocated, not even in school or through our own cultural background, I think. Because we are we shy away from fortune yep. or gain mm-hmm. as if it's some sort of taboo. Yeah, yeah. and um, and I think that's the one thing that changed was the fact that if I I realized how important financial um, okay. freedom you might say was, and my wife was very much more into it than I am, and she sort of we said how can we do that? How can we start gaining that? So we made our first investment back in mm. 2009. Oh, fine. Finally, we're getting to the side because yeah. h- I thought your wife was the side hustle. Now, okay, now we're getting into the, the question now, Sandeep. So we, we initially made an investment back in 2009, our first investment back in Hong Kong. Mm. And um, it, was, it was really, we had no idea. I didn't know if I could afford it, mm. but it was about doing something. Mm-hmm. It was about doing something that, you know, people are afraid to invest something that they can't, you know, yeah. they, they've never done. She said, let's do it. Who knows if we can pay it or not, but at least there's, a pr- there's definitely perspective of gain in the future. Yeah. That was our first investment. Once we made that investment, the returns was amazing. Mm-hmm. And then everything else came from there. So mm-hmm. I was 25 years old at that time. I made my first investment. And then after that, everything started falling in place. Mm-hmm. Of course, we struggled. We massively struggled when we were in the military because we could hardly make our repayments at that, t- at that point in time. But that struggle sort of reinforced uh, what we were getting in the end. Uh, after our, we sold that first property, we reinvested into a different business. We mm-hmm. reinvested into uh, buying the property we're currently in. Mm-hmm. We reinvested into other friends' and families' businesses. Mm-hmm. And at this moment in time, my, my wife is also trading in cryptocurrency. Mm-hmm. Um, so wow. it opened a lot of doors. It, mm-hmm. was, it was understanding what, you know, you could, how you can utilize your money to make it work for you. Yep. Okay, cool. So cryptos, real estate, good Pretty stuff. much, yeah. So real estate is probably going to be our next five years, our driving. Um, driving. It's, it's one of the safest investment that you can get into Mm -hmm. um the returns are not as good as uh, some other areas like crypto trading you might say um but or even business in the uk you have to have the business knowledge in order to open a restaurant you might say or uh, open uh open one of those retail part retails uh, anything you want to do even service provision you will need to have a very good business acumen unfortunately we don't have that extensive Mm -hmm. Uh, so we had to do we had to make the best with what we had 
at that moment in time, it was uh, having the capital and yep. being able to make the most of it with the knowledge we had. Mm. That's good. Eating mashed potatoes and boiled yep. eggs, that decision has yeah, paid we, off. Yeah, paid off. There was one big advice I could give is change is good. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, uh, people are afraid to move on um, maybe because they think they haven't done enough inf- research. They haven't, mm-hmm. they don't know enough, but you'll never know enough. Uh, it, the most important thing when you're younger is you have time. Time is the is the biggest asset you'll ever have. Mm-hmm. If you don't utilize that time, you will never get that back. And I'd say if you are thinking about something, and if you are, please don't be complacent. Please don't be static. If you're not doing something, you're not growing. Yeah. Always try to do something different, and and don't be afraid to take take a risk once yeah. in a while. Um, I think you should always try to strive and be become better version of yourself. Uh, I do a little bit of comparison. What would have happened if my dad never joined the military? Right. I, I would have mm-hmm. still been back in Darjeeling, mm-hmm. uh, where, where my parents are originally from. Right. And, and and looking at my my cousins who are there, they're struggling. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, they're hard workers. They're they're beautiful. They're, they're really good people. But unfortunately, uh, the opportunities did not will never materialize over there. As opposed to what what I've been given, and and you're right. I think up to a certain point, our parents are supposed to help us get mm. to that point. Right. But when the torture tor- torture finally gets passed on to us, I thought you said duty. torture. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I think in many ways it is a torture when you think about it. <laughs> did you get Did you get hit by a belt, anyone? <laughs> I think um, physical education, as we call it, <laughs> in the days was uh, an imperative, especially with our sort of uh, yeah. <laughs> our sort of behavior. But um, yeah, <laughs> I, I definitely think uh, that you know our parents did the best they could, but it's our job to make it better so that we pass cool. the torch on mm-hmm. to someone else. What do you like to eat with your dal and bath? Dargari. <laughs> <laughs> well, what sort of dargari? <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm a I'm a very pork man, but I've been uh, I've been slowly. Uh, to stay away from pork, but, uh, <laughs> that, that must be a uh, right thing, right? <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, I think that's what we had when I was a kid, and you know what they say about mother's food, right? Yeah, it's yeah. It's, it's the best, and uh, yeah, I, I like my pork curry. Um, I, I still love Hong Kong food, but uh, nothing beats the alvat curry, as in pork curry. Pork curry. <laughs> oh yeah, mm-hmm. same with me. I love pork curry as well. Cool. All right, great. So, um, yeah, thank you for your time, uh, Rajib. It's yeah. been great talking to you and listening to your story. Uh, it's given us a new perspective on the army. Yeah, yeah? definitely, definitely, definitely. Thank you for having me. Yep. Uh, um, hopefully, I can hear some more of your podcast in the future, guys. Okay. Cool. All right. Brilliant. Thank Thanks. you. Thanks. Thanks very much.